0: Okay, um, we're going to continue in our study of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, and I've got to give you a brief recap. I'm trying to make them more brief every week, but I'm not going to make any promises. Um, but we are in what we call the Address the Mess series, and we're covering First and Second Corinthians, as I said. And First and Second Corinthians are two letters that were written by Paul to a church that he helped establish in a city called Corinth, a very corrupt city. Uh, and when he went to establish that, it was about four or five years before he wrote these letters that he helped him establish that church in Corinth. And it went downhill that fast, but he's even spent 14 or 15 months trying to mentor them and train them to be successful in ministry, and that just they just lost their way. So he wrote these letters, you know, really hoping that he could get them fired back up and maybe get put a fire underneath uh, the leaders to get them back where they needed to be. Now, last week Paul was talking about how he had sacrificed personally his Christian liberties in order to be effective in ministry, right? Now, this week's topic is similar. Okay, and, but it's not the same, but it's similar, because he's going to discuss what he's actually willing to do in order to win someone to Jesus. And this is one of my favorite sections of this book. I think I say that a lot, but it is one of my favorite sections of this book. So um, he wanted, with Paul, it wasn't enough for him just to be a great minister. He wanted to create and form and help shape great ministers so that when he was gone, there would still be people to do what he was doing. And that's what he was trying to do with the, with the Corinthians. Now, I titled today's message, Passion, Not Participation Awards. Okay, and and as you can imagine, there's something coming up about that. But to have successful ministry requires that we're able to adapt to our circumstances, not whine about them. We have to be able to adapt to them, whatever they are. Uh, And success in ministry also requires the kind of dedication that you see in pro-athletes. And Paul's going to use that illustration today, because winning people to Jesus deserves our best efforts, not our complacency. Okay, now, before I get started... Every time I preach on a section where it talks about surrendering your liberties to reach others, I get people who ask the same question. Why would I surrender my freedoms just to please people who are ignorant of the truth? Shouldn't they have to make the changes, not me? That's a really selfish mindset, but I'm going to address that so I don't have to address it through the body of the message. And I'll do it by giving you an illustration I think is pretty familiar. If you know someone who thinks it's wrong to eat pork, you don't have to agree with them. You can feel sorry for them because I love bacon. But you don't have to agree with them. And you don't have to completely stop eating pork just in case they might see you out in public somewhere. But when you go to their house, or when you go somewhere and you know you're gonna be eating together, you should abstain from eating it. Not because it sins, but so that you don't offend them. You don't wanna you don't wanna make them feel hurt when they're trying to figure their way through that that struggle. Because even though there's no biblical precedent that says you, don't, you can't eat pork anymore, that's gone, the law was fulfilled, there's no precedent that says we can't eat it, why would you eat it in front of them? I mean, why? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, you don't have to have just pork to live, so for the sake of the weaker brother, the one who's still trying to figure out all those things, don't do it. And that's kind of what Paul's going to be talking about today, as you'll see here in a second. Um, but you got to remember, why would anyone trust in Jesus if those who follow him are rude and inconsiderate? You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of, I wanted to head that off at the path so I didn't get a bunch of emails. Because people always ask me, I still think that's right, that I have to give up my liberties because they don't know. Well, remember at one time you were the one that didn't know. Okay? So anyway, let's move on. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, pay attention to that, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Okay, now think about this. Ministering to these Jews that Paul just mentioned was probably the most difficult thing he ever had to do. It had to be extremely, extremely difficult for him. Because at one time, these were his cronies. I mean, at one time, Paul was the most dedicated, up-and-coming Jewish leader around. He was the rock star. Everybody thought he was going to be the one that would be the big influencer, if you will, uh, among the Jews someday. But when he converted to Christianity, he went from the up-and-comer to public enemy number one. Okay, and I don't know if any of you were raised in traditional religions, but I hear this all the time when people choose to take a different spiritual path than their parents or their family Sometimes they're ostracized for that. Well, imagine what paul's situation would be i mean they literally wanted him dead just like they wanted jesus dead but despite that god knew he was also the perfect one to minister to them even though that he was public enemy number one to him he's still going to be the perfect one to minister to them because who knew them better than him who knew the laws better than him who knew the customs better than him uh, who knew the religious obligations and the ceremonies better than he did he knew all those things intimately and, and this, when he's talking about just the Jews, he's saying he followed their customs because he knew them. And now when Paul said he was free, he said, what he, was, he wasn't saying I'm just free to do whatever I want. What he was saying was he was free from any religious obligations, not just to the Jewish religion, but any religion. He was free from all that stuff. And he discussed uh, freedom from religious bondage also in the book of Romans. Look at Romans 7, 6. He says, but we now have been released from the law, for we died to it, and are no longer captive to its power Now we can serve God Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law But in the new way of living in the spirit So here's where people start to get You know A little burn about this Because they don't like the way this is worded evidently But notice he said he became all things to all people He became all things to all people And he did that in order to minister to them He said to the Jew He became one of the Jews He followed their traditions Meaning he observed all the traditions, all the ceremonies. And if you've ever studied the Judeo uh, faith back then, it was unbelievable, all the traditions they added on top of an already restricted law. Now people say, well, why did he submit himself to something like their traditions and ceremonies when he knew he wasn't even bound to do so by God? Because he did it because if he didn't do it, he would offend them. He would have offended them. And how in the world would he have been able to lead someone to Christ that he offended? Right? Now here's where it gets a little different. He also said that when he was with those who followed Jewish law, he observed the law. Well, people said, isn't that the same thing? It isn't the same thing. When he referenced the Jews, he was talking about just the typical Jewish person, the common Jewish person. And those people weren't really practitioners of the law. They were instructed by those who were. Uh, They were big on the customs, and they were big on all the traditions. But when he said those who followed the Jewish law, he was describing Jewish leaders, He was describing Jewish leaders because they prided themselves in knowing every little period and every hyphen in the law, they knew it all. And by that, by leaders, I mean the Pharisees, the Sadducees, priests, etc., all those people, that's who he was talking about when he said he followed the Jewish law. So when he was with them, he followed the Jewish law so as not to offend them, right? So this is really important because if he would have stood out and, and just blatantly went against them, they could have killed him, let alone he wouldn't have the opportunity to minister to him. They, they could have actually killed him. And people say, well, I don't understand why he did that. Listen, he didn't walk in there and say, I agree with you, Jesus is the Messiah. That's not what he's saying. He was saying that when they when the law asked them to do perform a certain act, he did it when he was with them. He did it alongside of them so that he would have the opportunity to minister to them. So it's really, really important. And, and it's important that you understand that Paul never did anything that was sinful, and he never compromised the truth in order to minister to someone he just tried to eliminate the things that would cause contention so that he could have their ear and he could talk to them uh, about jesus now sometimes i don't know if you've noticed this but sometimes it's the people that are closest to you that are the hardest ones to minister to. you guys ever notice that sometimes it's your family you ever had trouble witnessing to your family talking to your family about jesus i did sometimes it's your friends that there's just so many people, when they know you, it's a lot tougher. And the reason is, let's just be honest, they, most of them know your dirty laundry from your pre-believing years. Most of them remember who you were, especially if you're me, because I had laundry mats full of it. You know? And I knew a lot of people knew that. And when God called me to ministry in the same town that I tore apart, I was thinking, are you sure this is where you want me? Couldn't I go somewhere where they think I'm a choir boy? But he didn't allow that to happen. So it makes it tough. But here's the thing, those people who know how bad you were Yeah, they may remember that But that can also play in your favor Because it reminds them how much God has changed you From the person they used to know I'm not that person anymore And what better way to prove that to people Than to show them that when I'm in their presence Now listen, I mean, after I trusted Jesus I've said this before, I was absolutely People thought I was out of my mind They really did And as I've said before, they actually took bets on how long I'd last. They literally took bets on how long I'd last. I even heard some people say, I don't know what happened to Mosley, I think he got brainwashed by some cult. I'm like, believing in Jesus made you think I was brainwashed by a cult? You know, I mean, they talked about me up one side and down the other, and, you know, I'm proud to say that those who bet that I wasn't going to last, they lost that money. And I'm happy to say that and it's obvious that those who thought I wouldn't make it because of how bad I used to be, it's obvious that they didn't understand the love and the nature of God listen to what Jesus said in John six forty. he said for this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son that means perceives or understands who the son is and believes in him will have what? eternal life, not conditional life not wait and see life eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day This coming May, when I was preparing this message, all these thoughts come flooding back to my mind, and I was thinking about those people that bet against me and all the things that have changed since then. You know, this coming May will mark 28 years since I believed in Jesus. 28 years. That means I'm old. You know, and you know what's even more special than that to me is as of April 12th this year, this church will have had will have been uh, a church for 25 years. Our 25-year anniversary is this April, April 12th. We had April 12th was Easter in 1998, and that's when we had our first service ever was uh, Was April 12th of 1998. So 25 years. It's also going to mark the day that, that I've been a senior pastor 25 years, again, reminding me how old I am. But, you know, thankfully, some of those people who doubted my conversion now realize that my faith is as real as the one who redeemed me. And, you know, I've even heard that some people, when they realized God could save me, they knew they had a shot. You know, they, I'm, my dad, I'll never forget what he told me one time, and I, I don't know if he meant it as a compliment. I never asked, But he said, you know, Chris, I prayed harder for you than all my other kids combined. And he had seven of them. We had a buckle of them. And I said, wow, thanks, Dad. He said, well, I just knew that if you got saved, they'd know it'd be easy for them. And I'm going, hmm, I take back my thanks. But... He's right. Sometimes I mean, I've i heard of people who have believed because someone was changed so radically by faith that they realized that hey, my problems aren't too big for him to change either. If he can change them, right now. Look in 9:21. He talks about ministering to the Gentiles like he did the Jews. He said, uh, "When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey." the law of God. You might want to underscore law of God if you have it with you. Uh, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. You know what I find ironic here? Is that Paul takes the differences we have and finds ways to capitalize on them in ministry. It seems like religion today and churches today specifically look for reasons to just tear uh, Christianity apart, tear the whole body of Christ apart, we look for reasons to argue rather than reasons to unify. And it really bothered me when I was reading this because we have denominations that we can argue about. Well, I don't want anything to do with them. They're Pentecostal. They're Catholic, They're Baptist, They're Lutheran. You know, we, that's why I cannot stand denomination. I think it's just, a, it's just a tool that the enemy uses to keep believers from coming together and uniting. But while we're doing that in this day and age, we look back and we see that the Apostle Paul was saying, yeah, I don't believe that, but how can I use that? So I can bring them to Christ He looked for those differences And I I just wish we'd do that But when he was with the Gentiles He used that same methodology he used with the Jews He followed the Jewish law when he was with the Jews And when he was with the Gentiles Who had no obligation to it He ignored it He ignored the Jewish law But he didn't ignore the law of God He said instead that he obeyed The only law that he was actually bound to And that was the law of Christ Or the law of God Depending on which translation you have and since, here's the thing we have to remember. Since Jesus fulfilled the law, we know it's fulfilled. It drives me crazy when people say the law is no good anymore. more. That is absolutely wrong. God never made anything that wasn't good. Okay? The law was fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled everything the law asked to be fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled it. But since it's fulfilled, believers are no longer under any religious obligations other than the law of Christ, just like Paul said. So what is the law of Christ and the law of God? And Paul defines it all over the place in the d- different letters that he wrote. I'm just going to give you a few examples. Romans 13.10 He said, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what? The fulfillment of the law. Okay, listen to this. Galatians 5.13-14 For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers uh, and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in, in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command okay this is the law of god or the law of christ love your neighbor as yourself the love of god is our law the love of his word that's our law now and that's what he was that's what he was following and to sum it all up um probably the easiest way i could define the law of christ or the law of god is love jesus love his people and selflessly serve christ and each other that's the law we live under now pretty simple right And that's exactly what Paul was doing by becoming all things to all people. Now, a lot of times, let me just throw this disclaimer in. I have people that tell me, well, since we're supposed to be all things to all people, when my buddies are getting drunk, I'll just get drunk with them. Because I want to, you know, become all things. That's not what he's saying. You know what I mean? If your buddies are giving somebody a beat down, don't jump in and help beat them down because you want to become all things to all people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in ways that you can do so without compromising your faith. But it's really, really important that we understand that, that he's not saying not including sin in on this equation, you know. But here's the thing. He became all things to all people, and he was setting people free by voluntarily giving up his rights as a believer, his Christian freedoms. He gave them up, even though he didn't have to, so that he might not offend them and might be able to lead them to Christ. But before we look at our next point, I want to clarify one thing. All right, so I don't get a ton of emails. Okay? Paul never went back and did the sacrifices and things like that because people always call me and say well so you're saying he offered sacrifice even though jesus was our perfect sacrifice let me give you some advice stop looking for loopholes to argue about okay he found ways to minister within the system that he was in that's all it was saying so don't send me emails okay now in verses 23 through 27 this is where i'm going to spend the bulk of my time uh, paul carefully explains the method he used to share the gospel and this is just brilliantly written 1 Corinthians 9.23 He says, I do everything to spread the good news What's another word for good news? Gospel, that's right, even though you whispered it Um, I do everything to spread the good news And to share in its blessings Do you not realize That in a race, everyone runs But only one person Gets the prize So run what? Let's say that again, so run to I don't know why people demonize Winning anymore, Okay? But I'll cover that in just a minute. He says, run to win. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body. You might want to underscore that. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. I, uh, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So he was basically saying, if I don't do this, I'm afraid that I'm going to be disqualified from his blessing. That is not talking about losing your salvation, that's a whole other sermon. Okay, so Paul used something that he knew everybody would understand in Corinth. He used a sports illustration. Here's a newsflash. Our obsession with sports hasn't been in the last hundred years. There has always been an obsession with competitions in sports. See, back then, uh, there was uh, what was called the Grecian Games. And the Grecian games were a lot like uh, the Olympics that we know of, uh, and they were moved around, and often they were held in Corinth. And the people absolutely loved to watch them; they would pack stadiums and coliseums to go watch these athletic competitions. They loved it. So Paul knew that this would be a great illustration that would easily drive his point home if he used athletics if he used sports. Okay. Because the reason I'm kind of making a big deal about that is I always have people come up to me and say, I don't know how Christians have time to watch football. I'm like, well, I'm just sure you're praying and sacrificing all the time. That's what you're doing. You know, listen, there's nothing wrong with sports unless you're a Ravens fan, in which case it is sin. But anyway, um, so I just want to make sure I got that out there. But these Grecian games were huge, and these athletes, I mean, it was so important. They were the rock stars of that era. If they won, they didn't have to pay taxes for a year. They were basically cared for by the state. They were treated like celebrities. You know, and and they would, they only won this crown of laurels, these flowers they put on their head. That's what they won. But the, what came with it was amazing. And a lot of times people would get lazy after they won, and they wouldn't work out anymore, and they would wait for the very last second. And when they came back the next year to compete, they were terrible. And people would say, ah, oh, they must have rested on their laurels meaning they rested on the fact that they won that count of laurels to make them great all the time, didn't work. Threw that in for free, you're welcome. But, anyway, so this is why he said, you know, uh, this is a great illustration, a great way to drive my point home. So he compared his passion for the gospel to the competitive nature of an athlete. And an athlete should have a competitive nature, okay? Competitive athletes have very disciplined training regimes. Very disciplined. And they do that for one reason. They're disciplined, they work hard for one reason. They want to what? They want to win. They want to win. So they work hard to get themselves to that point. Now, the phrase, I discipline my body, is kind of interesting because it comes from the Greek word hippopiazo. And it means, uh, its word was basically used to describe someone leading an animal around by a leash. It's also used... In Corinth, there were some slave owners who would put harnesses on their slaves and lead them around with a leash. And that word that was translated, I discipline my body, that piazzo, that's what it was describing, someone being harnessed and controlled is what it was talking about. So he says, I discipline my body. Now, this is really, really, really important. What he was trying to say is, I have harnessed and enslaved my fears and my doubts so that I can boldly serve God. That's basically what he was saying. And that's really, really important. He harnessed his his fears and doubts because he wanted to win win the race he was in. He was competitive. He wanted to be the best apostle that ever walked across across the pages of Scripture. And in my opinion, he won that one. But he wanted to win. And he didn't want to win trophies. He wanted to win people for Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. Now, Paul knew that we all become a slave to something in our lives. Do you realize that? We all... Become a slave to something in our life. But here's the trick. We can choose what we become a slave to. Paul understood that concept. And people say, I'm a slave to nothing. I'm like, let me meet your wife. Okay, that's awful. Let me meet your husband. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of things. Food. We're not going to talk about that. Anyway, but we all are enslaved to something. And Paul knew that. And he decided he was going to, he had the choice what he was going to be enslaved to. He could be enslaved to the world and then forfeit all God's blessings and and all the things that God had for him, all the rewards, or he could be enslaved to Christ and have rewards and blessings in abundance, and he chose the latter. That's what he wanted to do. But Paul wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than complete victory. I've had people tell me, everybody knows I'm a coach, I've been doing it years, I've had people tell me before that you shouldn't put an emphasis on winning. (laughs) I'm like, then tell me again why we would do this. How would you get people to do this? Scripturally, if you do it, do it well enough to win that's what it's saying okay so i hear that all the time and paul said i'm not going to be satisfied with anything but complete victory paul did not want to receive a participation award okay out comes my soapbox okay a true athlete like a grecian athlete didn't compete hoping to get second or third they competed because they wanted first they wanted to win it all they also were interesting, interested in receiving some, I'll say silly, participation award. They didn't want that. And that's why Paul used them as an illustration for faithfulness and commitment. Now, here's my soapbox. Honestly, participation awards set a dangerous precedent in the lives of athletes. Very dangerous. And I'll explain that it crosses over. What's so dangerous about the participation precedent, uh, participation award precedent, if you will, is that it promotes complacency. It promotes complacency. See, participation awards sound encouraging. Oh, everybody wins. Everybody can't win. Everybody can't win. All right, But they say, oh, everybody wins. It sounds encouraging. But truthfully, they just plant a seed of of monotony that eventually grows into a, a, a huge void of passion and commitment later in their life. They don't learn what it takes to grow in passion and in commitment. And especially the youth, they need to learn two very important lessons about life that you're not going to learn from the participation award crowd, okay first, if something's worth having it's worth working for okay, listen I know we live in a different era I know we do but my kids still had chores (laughs) I don't know if yours do and see, I had chores and I learned that if I wanted something I had to work for it you know, when I was a kid, I hated my parents for that when I was carrying wood into the basement and it was five below wind chill factor and Nate's grandpa thought he was doing my dad a favor and he got him a cast iron wheelbarrow I wish that were a joke he said you're having trouble with wheelbarrows breaking and Chris is over here going break wheelbarrows break and he goes I got one he had it made he had it made I think I don't know but it was cast iron you know how much that thing weighed right and I had to take that and fill it with wood and I had a choice either don't put much in it so you don't have to work so hard because it's heavy or freeze to death and get frostbite while I'm doing 30 more loads than I have to so I always tried to pile it full and dropped it if I ever noticed when you try to save time you just don't I'd pile wood this high and I'm like oh I need too low <clears throat> It'd tip over and I'd have frostbite I'm reliving painful memories from my youth here but If anything's worth having, it's worth working hard for. And now now that I've grown up and seen what's going on around me, I am glad that I was taught that lesson by my parents. I'm glad for that. But those who don't work for what they have seldom appreciate what they have either. Very seldom appreciate what they have. And that drives me crazy. And if we don't teach them, if we don't teach them that you have to work hard for anything that's worth having, life will teach them that lesson. And life is a harsh instructor. Life will teach him harshly that you can't lay around and wait for a participation award. No participation award is going to pay your mortgage. Okay? It's a lesson they have to learn. Listen, if you want to excel as an athlete, it takes hard work. Right? If you want to advance at work, it takes hard work. You know, if you want to have a successful marriage, trust me, it takes hard work. I mean, not ours. Ours is so easy. But most people struggle having a successful marriage. It takes work. And if you want to grow closer to God, it takes work. It takes work to grow closer to God. I didn't say it takes work to get saved. It takes work to get closer to God, to develop that relationship. Because, listen, salvation is free, but his blessings and rewards are not heaven is free you believe you're promised eternal life but the blessings in the bible are conditional upon you serving and being faithful so you even have to work for that very very important second life lesson uh, or life lesson is if if winning isn't important to you don't sign up for the competition here's where i'm gonna get mommies calling me later i bet some i dad's probably if winning isn't important to you don't sign up for the competition because trust me, I promise you winning is probably important to your teammates and they'll know it's not important to you and they will not want to play a sport with you, right? I promise your boss thinks it's important that you work hard and compete for advancement. I promise you he thinks it is. He thinks it's important. Your coaches think it's important and those who you're in in a relationship with, they think it's really important that you work hard to develop that relationship. So don't kid yourself. If you don't want to compete, if you don't want to work hard, don't sign up for it right see they probably view participation award people as a liability because they don't want to be a winner right now there's an old adage and it's said many different ways and i'm going to share it with you it says it's not about winning or losing it's just about having fun how many people have heard that okay how many people have fun losing raise your hand how many people lose by 25 points that come out and go that was amazing i cannot wait to get humiliated on this court again right listen losing isn't fun just throwing it out there in case you haven't noticed i might be a little competitive right but listen it's not about winning or losing it's just about having fun that is what losers say i'm just going to be honest and tell you that i'm going to get emails about that but the truth is even paul said he ran the race to win when you say that you're giving your kid an excuse because they're not working hard enough or giving yourself an excuse because you're not working hard enough or giving an excuse because maybe they should be in show car instead of football. I'm just saying, either way, it might not be their strong suit, but there's no way you can say it's just about having fun because it's not fun when you're losing, okay? And it teaches you so many life lessons when you work hard at everything you do, right? Now, as a coach, I'll be honest with you. There's only one instance where I can tolerate losing, i don't like to lose but i can tolerate it if my girls give me everything they have just what they had wasn't enough and that happens sometimes we played a team one time that had 11 division one athletes in it we were facing i think illinois pitcher. she's throwing 68 mile an hour 66 mile an hour rise balls in the rain from 43 feet that's like 96 97 in baseball and i'm gonna try to see if i can find a nice way to say this any of my girls here good we got smoke. We don't usually get smoked. We usually win. We got smoked. You know, sometimes the competitor is just better than you. And if my girls give me everything they have and they come up short because they just didn't have enough. I'm okay with that. But I promise you something, the next time we go to practice I'm gonna make sure they have more for the next time. I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna record what they didn't have and I'm gonna make sure they have more. So I'm just saying that we gotta get that mentality out of our head. Listen we need to work for what we have, and we need to compete when we sign up to compete. Now, you may think that's harsh, but I'm just reiterating what Paul said in verses 23 through 27. That's what he was saying. See, Paul knew that salvation is completely free, but he also knew, like I said earlier, that God's blessing and rewards are not. That's why he wrote this. We covered this a few months ago. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 3. It says, Because of, the, uh, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building on the foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one which is already which we already have Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation he's talking about? Jesus, you can answer that. What's the foundation he's talking about? Jesus Christ. Now listen. Let me clarify something. Only believers can build on the foundation of Christ. This is talking to believers. That's who this is talking to. Okay? So let we'll me make sure we get that out there. Verse 12. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if that work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames i love how they say that so basically what he's saying here is if you once you believe you're going to heaven but someday you have to be judged for how well you competed in this race the race called life as a believer how well did you compete how hard did you work were you honing your skills so you could be more effective at bringing people to jesus because listen it's not about winning or well, you know it's not about winning or losing it's about winning and Have fun listen it is about winning when we're talking about the race that God has given us to run, It is about winning, and the consequences are too harsh to not win. And someday you will stand before God, and everything you did out of false pretense, every, every word you spoke behind someone's back, every deception, you'll answer for it. And every good thing you did, you'll answer for it. See, back then they would purify things like gold through the fire. They would throw gold in the fire. All the impurities would rise to the top. It's called dross. They would scrape it off and what was left was pure, and they would form gold bars or do whatever they wanted to with it, right? And that's the process he was talking about to them. Listen, someday we're going to find out what's dross and what's gold. But you will be saved, but some people will get to heaven and smell like brimstone. I'm just going to let you know. That means they walk that close to the line. Those people are not competing the way Paul said. Those are participation award people. I am so in trouble. People are going to call me all the time. But there were certain qualities that Paul wanted them to imitate that athletes have certain qualities and they're very important so let's take a look at some of these qualities he wanted them to have dedication no good athlete is not dedicated believe me if if you want to see the bad side of me as a coach be lazy be the person who's not dedicated to the team you will meet the bad side of me athletes have self control both of those dedication and self control are very important to a believer right? athletes have an insatiable desire to succeed in their specific event as believers we should have an insatiable desire to win people to jesus that should be our primary desire very 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 important that's why paul said the following let's read it again first corinthians 9 24 don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize so what well wow, you guys sound like you're running to win so what Run to win. Now, notice Paul didn't say run so you can get a participation award. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you something dark from my history? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna anyway. But I used to throw those away. Of all the ribbons and trophies and stuff I've got, you are never gonna find a participation award because to me that was them saying, "Here, you stink." <laughs> Sorry, that's what it felt like. I didn't keep them, right? So Paul didn't say, run in a way that they will give you the consolation prize. Run for second. Run for third. Run to get cut from the team. No. Run to win. Run to win. Very, very important. Now, Paul wanted believers to have the same focus and passion for Jesus and for sharing the gospel that the Grecian athletes had for winning their events, and that's why he used that illustration. So Paul perfectly explained this concept in one more letter, and I'll close after this. But Philippians 3.13, I love this. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. What's that say? Forgetting the past. That's a big one, underscore that. And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Here hear what he said there? God is calling you to win this race. He's calling you to win this race. And Paul said the secret to spiritual success, the first thing he said was the secret was forgetting the past. Now listen, I wasn't, when I did run track, I was sprint, because that's all I had. If I ran long distance, I'd have died. Right? But, if you're a a runner, one thing you're always trained to do is never look back while you're running. There's a couple reasons why. First of all, it slows you down. Second of all, there's a real good chance you're going to fall and look like an idiot. So, don't look behind you. It hinders the race you're running. That's what Paul's trying to, the picture he's trying to paint in their mind is make sure you're focused on the finish line. Don't worry about who's behind you. They'll catch you if you look, right? Forgetting what lies behind, right? Successful people have very short memories. You know that? Successful people have very short ministry. Why? Be, ministry, memories. Why? Because they don't want what's in their past to hinder what's coming in the future. You've got to have a short memory. I can't tell you how many times, I've coached about every sport you can think of, and I can't tell you how many times i said, listen, forget that strikeout or the next three at-bats will be strikeouts too. Forget that interception or you'll throw three more. And I mean, forget that you shot an air ball or you might shoot two or three more. Forget what's back there. Don't waste any time thinking on what you cannot change. And you can't change the past. What you can do is focus on the future and that's what Paul was telling them look to the future you are still in control of the direction you run and how fast you run when you are looking to the future see athletes couldn't win races looking behind believers can't be successful if we are living in our past I have met people time and time again and maybe you're one of them and I've done this before that get into this funk in their spirit life how many people have ever been a spiritual funk raise your hand a lot of you guys got a nail But here's the thing. When you get in a funk, it is a terrible place to be. Depression creeps in. Start having doubts and fears. Right? I hate being in that funk. And that funk usually comes because you can't forgive yourself for something God has already forgotten about because he forgave you of it and threw it away. So I tell people when they come to me and they say, I can't get over this. I can't get over this. I've been praying and they said, God isn't answering me. I said, you know why God isn't answering you about the sins of your past? Why? Because he has forgiven them. He has thrown them away, and you keep digging them back up. Right? He's saying, listen, God's not going to go back and change the past for you. He expects you to be a big boy or a big girl, pull up your pants, and go out and forget about the past he has. That's what he sent his son to do. Erase that from your, from your track record. Right? Now, here's the thing, and I'll close on this. I know this sounds like it's all about me saying, you know, you should win in sports, and it probably really is. But the truth of the matter is, we have too many believers who don't care if they're in the race, too many believers who are walking instead of running, and too many believers who are so distracted they don't even hear the gun go off to start running. Listen, if there's ever been a time that we we need to compete and we need to win, look around you. It's now. Do not waste another second looking behind you. Don't waste another second being mundane in your Christian walk. It wouldn't shock me if Jesus came back tomorrow. If that were the case, who do you wish you would have reached out to? Who do you wish you would have forgotten that held you back? Because believe me, the time is short. Run hard. I'm going to go ahead and close here. I'm going to ask you what to things about your head. This is this your first time? We always like to give an invitation. Very briefly, if there's someone here who's not sure where they stand with God or just wants prayer, just make eye contact and put your head right back down. Bless those people. And I'm going to pray for you. I really do. Bless those people. I don't need to know what it is. Bless those people. Bless those people. And I will be praying. If you're watching or listening online, God knows your heart. I got you. I'll be praying for you. But believers, when I I preach a message like this, I really want to spend some time in prayer about us. Because as I was preparing this, I thought to myself, all the people I shied away from, all the times that I dogged it instead of ran hard. And I got kind of convicted. I'm going to pray that we remember we're in this the let Just pray. God, I thank you so much for all the love and the mercy and the grace you show each one of us. I can't understand how you can love someone like me. No one knows how sinful I am but you and me. And yet you love me anyway. You, you love all of us despite who we are. And I thank you for that kind of love. I can't understand it, but I'm so thankful that you have it. God, that grace is what offers us eternal life. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to deserve it because we never can. All we have to do is believe that Jesus paid our sin debt in full. When we accept that payment for ourselves, your wor- word promises we'll have eternal life. So if someone's being hindered by whatever it may be, just remove that from their mind and let them realize it. just the way they are is how you're willing to receive it we'll make the changes that need to be made later and God for those of us who are believers it is so easy to wait for someone else to do the work it's so easy to sit back and make excuses as to why we don't win it's so easy to wait for the participation of work God remove that from us and give us a passion to win at all costs give us a competitive nature we want to bring as many in as we can before you take us home but we believe the time is short and it's time for us to get to work. Give us a passing fire as we just got. God, we ask as we leave here, you keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you the praise, honor, and glory of the